Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real, different conversations with legendary people about business, marketing, and life. On today's episode, a guy I respect and admire a lot. His name is Dave Bittner, and he's the producer and the host of the CyberWire podcast, of the Hacking Humans podcast, and he's a regular guest on uh, one of my top five favorite podcasts, Grumpy Old Geeks, hosted by my buddies Jason DeFilippo and Brian Schulmeister. And Dave and I have a fascinating and timely discussion about security, the future, uh, why Dave is uh, concerned about deep fakes and why we all should be, what's going on with Apple Glasses, and much more. Go to Lockhead.com for the show notes on this episode and key takeaways. Now, before we get started, my good friends at NetSuite by Oracle are the world's number one cloud business system. You could think of them as the category queen in cloud business systems for high growth companies. And that's because NetSuite offers you a full picture of all of your finances in one place, in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. And that's why NetSuite customers are typically fast growers. As a matter of fact, NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and now you can too. To schedule your free demo right now and to receive your free guide, The Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, visit netsuite.com different. That's netsuite.com different for your free demo and your free guide today. And my good friends at Splunk want to remind you that we are clearly in the data age and Splunk is bringing data to everything, every question, every decision, and every action. And Splunk is one of the leading security technology companies on planet Earth. So if you want to learn how to turn data into doing, check out splunk.com slash D2E, as in data to everything, splunk.com slash D2E. Now, hey-ho, Let's go. Why security so hard, Dave? Well, <laughs> I mean, part of it is the the classic. Uh, I think you know, cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? Where it's very easy to have best practices. It's very easy to have a checklist of things that you're going to do to make things secure and to meet all of your regulatory requirements and all that sort of stuff. But meanwhile, back in the real world, you know, you've got your business that needs to operate. And so you may not be able to update the software on that server. You may not be able to install those new patches right away because there's a business reason or someone above you has decided that in doing their risk equation that it's less risky to leave that vulnerability there for x amount of time rather than risk not being able to take people's credit cards for you know 5 hours while you're doing the update or something like that so it's a it's you think people make a fairly conscious trade-off risk-reward decision around how much time, money, energy, technology they put into security. And, and so I think they, they, yeah, I think, and I think that's been a big change in the past two years or, or so. Um, because before then, security hadn't really made its way up to the boardroom yet. 
So security was kind of what the IT guys and gals did. Um, and they were kind of left alone to, to do the basics. But then as these breaches started getting bigger and the ramifications started getting bigger and the costs started getting bigger and the PR started getting worse, you had the board suddenly uh, not, only, not only getting their attention, but them potentially being liable for all this stuff. Um, now, all of a sudden, you've got their attention. And what do folks on boards know about? They know about risk, business risk. Yeah. And so what happens now is your, you know, your CISO, your chief information security officer, part of their job is to be that translation layer between the folks who are down there fighting the good fight, keeping the business safe, and the board who's running the risk-reward equation and, and sending those messages back and forth between them. Um, I think these days, good board members have to have a certain level of knowledge and education in cybersecurity because it touches everything. You know? the, the technology is the business now. Yep. It's, it's all digital, right? And yep. then when, so, but how do these giant breaches, these Equifax uh, type things, or, you know, giant, you know, credit cards or banking, and like some of these, you, you, <laughs> you read the Wall Street Journal and you go, what the fuck? How did that, how did that happen? Yes. Um, I think, you know, remember, <laughs> there's that old saying, you've probably seen, uh, you know, tacked to someone's wall or, uh, or on, a, on a bulletin board in a lunchroom, you know, from the 90s and beyond. It says, you know, to, uh, you know, to screw things up really quickly requires a computer, you know, like that sort of thing is that large amounts of data can, can be released very quickly. Um, through the use of technology. So you, you're aggregating all this data, you're putting it all in one place. And for a long time, I'd say up until the past year or so, that was considered a best practice was to collect as much data as you possibly could because that data has value. You want all the, and why not? The storage of it is cheap. So you wanna know everything about your customers that you can possibly know. Your sales teams want to be able to go through all that data and pull out every nugget of information. That all makes sense. Um, but I think lately, in the past year or so, there's been this shift from thinking that data is valuable and you should collect as much of it as possible to this notion that data is radioactive and that it needs to be handled with care. And if you get too much of it in one place, bad things can happen right? Because it can go critical on you. And that's where when you have these, these breaches happen, um, you know, that's kind of like something going critical with radiation. Now, some of it's just carelessness, you know, somebody will stick something in a, on an AWS bucket and forget to set the right security settings. Some of it is bad guys working successfully to get in. Is it, is it something Putin? like that? I always assume it's Putin. Sure. Some of it is. I mean, there, 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 there is the uh, the statecraft of espionage, the OPM breach. That's espionage, and so we do that to them. They do that to us, and when we find out they did that to us, we kind of say, "Well, shame on us for allowing that." But um, you know, we're we're doing the same thing to them, and and there's that agreement between nations that espionage is espionage, which is different from theft and crime and you know, North Korea coming at us to steal money. 
because they desperately need money. Um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily in the same categories, although there's a lot of overlap. You know, a lot of the folks who are doing the nation state kind of work, uh, nine to five, they might be doing that, but then in their off hours, they're doing other things that could be sending out ransomware or crypto miners or any of that kind of stuff. There's, there's more and more, it seems to be that there's more crossover and they're, there's also crossover in the tools that they're using. So the low level crooks are using more and more sophisticated tools because those tools are more readily available and they're easier and easier to use. So you think, does that mean the incidents of um, cyber bad guys doing bad things um, is going to increase? Because the cost to do so is, is lowering? Um, I think there are a few things going on right now. I think we're seeing the sophistication of the actors increase in that there is an increase in the professionalism of them. So, for example, um, phishing, right? Coming at you with an email to try to get you to click on something to get some money from you, some sort, you know, and some kind of financial gain from you. Uh, that's becoming more and more targeted. They're do, in other words, less of a shotgun approach. More, they're investing the time in doing their homework. That I'm coming after you and you specifically, because if I can come after you, and I can get five thousand dollars from you, that's worth a week of my time to do my homework on. I, I had a fascinating one happen a while ago. I got an email um, and it had in the subject line an old password of mine from, I don't know, easily 10 years ago. Yep. And I thought, huh? So yep. I read the email and you, you probably know this scam. Mm -hmm. And they say that um, they're essentially trying to extort money from me. Yep. Um, and they want me to um, give them Bitcoin. Right. Did they say that they, they'd seen you watching porn? That's a common one. That's, they recorded that's, you? That's exactly that one. And yep. By the way, I knew that wasn't true because I have a cover on my camera. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's, not that they, it's not that you weren't watching porn. It's just that I you're very careful all when the you time. watch porn. <laughs> right, sure. Absolutely. I just uh, have a post-it note on my camera. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. Um, so, but the, you know the interesting thing is to your point, uh, and they knew that one thing, right? Mm -hmm. It does stop you in your tracks. Yes, it does. Like, huh? How do they know that? Now, actually, let me ask you this: I asked a security buddy of mine how they would know that, and he said it was probably from something like one of the big Yahoo hacks or something like that, because I had a Yahoo mail back then. Yes, um, and and that's that, that's usually what happens is we, there are these large databases of these breaches, and those of us who've been around for a while, who've been online for now decades, in the early days, we were all pretty sloppy about our our uh, digital hygiene, right? I mean, you probably had a password and this was your password and you used your password on everything because that's what we all did. I did it, you did it. And so... Yeah, if you um, had more than one password, how are you going to remember them all? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um and so those old legacy passwords are still out there. They're, you know, they're on um, services that you or I probably don't use anymore that we've completely forgotten we ever had accounts on. And so that organization gets breached 
And now they have your username and your password. And that's, they generate these emails automatically. But you're absolutely right. It catches your attention. It makes you stop in your tracks because you go, wait a minute. This isn't just, a, this isn't just spam. They're coming after me because that is my old password. Yeah, it's, it's spooky. It's mm-hmm. like, what? I mean, I, I could tell it was a bullshit email right. immediately. But I was like, what's this fucking, how do they know that? Like that, that was creepy shit. Yep. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I mean, that, that's a very common one and that makes the rounds. Um, But uh, that's the sort of thing that we're seeing more and more of is, is this targeting. I I do miss the Nigerian prince though. I, I think he should make a comeback. (laughs) Oh, he's, he never went away. He's still out there. He's still uh, around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Over on uh, our Hacking Humans podcast, he makes regular appearances because uh, for, for whatever reason, uh, and there are cultural reasons why so many of these come out of Nigeria, um, they're, they're in the rotation. They're, <laughs> they're, they're never you know, that long out of the top 40 uh, for, for the scams. They're like they classic work. rock songs now. Yep, yep. And there are variations on themes. Um, and, and some of these scams predate the internet where pe- these scams existed when people would just send letters to each other. You know, the whole notion of, um, I have some money stuck somewhere and I need your help moving this money out of the country. Evidently that scam goes back to the days of pirates. Uh, wow. and now it just, it exists, uh, on a, I forget what it's called. It's like a treasure box or a lockbox scam, something like that. Um, the other, and, the, uh, there's two yeah. phone ones that happen a lot around here. Uh, yeah. I assume they happen everywhere, but you'll tell me there's, there's one where they call and they say, we've got your granddaughter. Uh, it's the police. Mm. You know, we got your granddaughter um, and you have to come bail her out. Yep. Right. And then they get the granddaughter on the phone and like you said, they, 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 they know a little bit about you. And so they go right at it. But the granddaughter's crying. Yep. And like, I, I know of people who gave these assholes like $20,000. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what's going on here? It's the same thing we talked about with the other one taken to an extreme. They're short-circuiting your ability to think rationally yeah. because it's your granddaughter. And you would do anything to protect your family. And so they come to you from a position of authority. They're law enforcement. And someone you love is in trouble. And that's more important to you than your money. And they know that. And so if, you don't, if you're unaware of this scam, and on, on the other end of the phone, you hear what you think is your grandchild crying in trouble, you're going to do whatever you can to try to help them and sort it out later. And it the works. other one, and I get this call a couple times a year, um, is uh, it's the IRS calling, and you better call us back right now because you owe us a lot of money, and we're going to start freezing your accounts and shit. Yes, and I, I'm <laughs> I'm the guy that calls them back. Ah. I, start, I like to fuck around with them. You like, like oh, to yeah? waste their time. Where are you? What's your address, yeah. Jim? You know, <laughs> what are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> What's your badge number, Jim? <laughs> yeah, I actually talked to somebody today who uh, who was going through that particular scam, um, and he happens to be the CEO of a security company. And the call came through while he was wrapping up a, a meeting with his, you know, his top people in a security company. So they put 
the guy on speakerphone and toyed with him for <laughs> for a while <laughs> for their for their own amusement. Um, but but at the same time, you know, sort of learned some some important lessons about how it all works. And the, the take home for him was that the scammers were using the exact same patterns and techniques as well-trained, skilled salespeople, professional salespeople. All of the same things of building rapport and you know these, these time-tested techniques of sales, the scammers were using for their Isn't own. It, doesn't good. it all go back to Norman Vincent Peale? <laughs> I suppose. Right? I you suppose, just, yeah. You can, you can read. That's the guy's name, right? Who wrote um, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Uh, yeah, I don't, I mm, sounds okay. I'm going to go with that. Sure. Believe me, our listeners will let us know if it's not. We don't have any listeners. (laughs) Uh, Right. Right. My mom will, uh, (laughs) will let us know if it's not. Oh, for the love of God, you idiot. It's Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. What what did, what did, uh, Norman (laughs) something else? (laughs) Probably something horrible or horrific, or <laughs> yeah, no. right. This is the moment when uh, everyone listening is yelling at. He their wrote the positive pow- <laughs> the power of positive thinking. Okay, so okay, it's, all right. it's, it's, you, it's, it's that's we'll, we'll give you that one. It's then an you honest fail. Confused. Sure, sure, absolutely. But, uh, and I was let's just point out, I was no help. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was no help in clarifying this. So we're in this together, my friend. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but it's, it's that basic, you know, you can read how to win friends and influence people and you can use those, you can call those, uh, techniques and you can use those techniques to better communicate and connect on a human level because that's what you're trying to do. Be a good person or transact business in a, in a more powerful way, or you can be a manipulative, uh, bastard with it, right? Yeah. You can use your powers for good or evil. It's up to you, Luke. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Right. Choose the light side. <laughs> now, I also, I was reading this article uh, on, uh, yeah, Quartz about mm-hmm. um, DNA test kits. Oh, sure. 23 and Me and all this stuff. Yeah. Essentially, the article makes an argument that says, hey, we don't know where all this is going, man. And you just gave a profit-making company your DNA. And there's a great, uh, let me get the quote. There's a great quote in here uh, that goes, you don't have to be Orwell to understand that the decision to allow a profit-driven company to analyze a person's data at the genetic level represents a new level of privacy threat. True. So I'm very curious, like, what do you think of these companies and the fact that people pay them to get their DNA so that they can monetize their DNA? Well, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I come at this from a different perspective than probably most people. Okay, good. that is because I am adopted. And my wife is also adopted. So, one of the ramifications of that is uh, our children, we have two boys, our children have no medical history whatsoever because neither of us have any medical history. So, just for in perspective, when you are adopted and you go to the doctor and they say, 
what's your medical history? And you say, I don't know. And they say, okay. I went to get my eyes checked one time and the eye doctor you know, was being funny. And he said, which one of your parents have the beautiful green eyes? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> right? So there's a different value proposition for those of us who don't have um, the, the sort of natural, you know, genetic connections with the rest of our family. The whole notion of being genetically connected to someone was abstract to me until I had children of my own, right? I understood it, but I did not feel it. So um, my wife, about a year and a half ago, uh, she had sent her DNA into, I think, Ancestry, um, got an email from someone and it said, uh, I just got my DNA tested and it says that we are closely related. Who the hell are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> I have no idea who you are. Um, and, uh, so my wife replied and she said, you know, uh, this is my situation. I'm adopted. This is where I was born. This is what I know. Um, I understand that my very existence might be a surprise to you and might be unwelcome, and I don't want to upset anyone's apple cart. I'm happy to find out any information you want to share with me, but I also understand if you just want to disengage, you know, it's fine. Um, I have a good life. I have a good family. You know, I, I hit the jackpot when it came to my adoptive parents. I'm not, there's no hole in my life that I'm looking to fill, you know. Her, her husband is incredibly handsome and talented. I cannot disagree with you there. So um, it turns out this this woman was her aunt. This this woman's brother was her birth birth parent, uh, or we call him bio dad. And uh, so what this led to was my wife finding her birth parents, and it all went very well. You know they they were young you know teenagers who back in the 60s got in trouble and you know the as as was the the norm back then you know the girl went away and visited family out of state for a few months and and came back and nobody really spoke of it again and so uh, my wife was adopted and and you know was perfectly you know happy yeah. with the family that she ended up with um but uh my story is similar um I have not found any birth parents, but I've found cousins. And it's a similar kind of thing where uh, they're like, who are you? Or, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know about you. And, and I respond the same way my wife did. You know, I understand that you may not know who I am. Cool. No problem. Um, now, what's interesting is that on my side, it seems as that my sense is that some of that my cousins who I've found have reached out and the response has been, yeah, we're not going to follow up on that. Like, you know, whoever yeah. my birth parents are, they're not, they, they want to let that sleeping dog lie. And that's fine. Yeah. You know? So they're, they're clearly saying, hey, thanks, but not so much. That's my sense yeah. so far. Um, now, uh, getting back to the privacy thing about this, um, we were talking about this. I think we were talking about a few weeks ago on Grumpy Old Geeks, in, in fact. And, um, I think we're at the point where like about 60% of people in the U.S., their genetic connections can be, made, can be implied from the number of people who've already had their tests done. So, so 
that web is getting filled in. All yeah. the, the gaps between the web are getting filled in. And we could get to a point in the near future where it won't matter if you get your test done or not because enough people have had their tests done that we could make the connections just uh, through implication. Right? I think I read, now, you know, I drink a lot, but uh, <laughs> I think I read an article that said 20 by 2025 will hit that point, whatever. I forget what the percentage of the American public will be. Is that right? Of, who've contributed to 23andMe or, um, or yep. Ancestry. But yep. I, I think it's in that sort of a time frame that whether you give it to them or not, they'll, they'll have the whole country. <laughs> right. Now, the security implication is that biometric data, and that's what this is, biometrics are your DNA, your fingerprints, your, uh, your face, face ID, you know, your um, facial recognition. Those are things that it's very difficult to change, if not impossible. Your DNA is your DNA. Um, your fingerprints are your fingerprints. So unlike a password that you can change, your DNA or your, any, any of this biometric stuff is very hard to change. So if someone gets a hold of that, and that's something that you're using for a factor in your security, it's, you can't just go reset that. I can't go reset my fingerprints. I can't go reset my DNA. I can't reset my iris scan. So that, I think that's one of the long-term concerns. Others are, like you said, these are for-profit companies. They, they want to use this stuff to make money. If I happen to have the genetic combination where I don't get heart disease because of my magical genetic combination, well, by having my DNA tested by 23andMe or Ancestry, my understanding is I've given them rights to my DNA to do whatever they want. And uh, they would not be obligated to share any, you know, windfall that came from using my magical DNA right. to cure heart disease and, or and cancer. And you paid them for them to go monetize your DNA. <laughs> yes, but but again, you know, there's a value proposition. I mean, why why are people paying for this? Because they want to, they want to find things out. It's fun. You want to find out where you came. Oh, so oh, so here's the other piece of the, the puzzle for me that is interesting and fun. So being adopted, the only thing I knew about my heritage was that I was supposed to be part Native American, right? You, you and Elizabeth Warren, right? Yeah, yeah. That's all I knew. That's all my parents were told. Now, my parents, bless their hearts, wanting to be culturally sensitive, dressed me in moccasins, like little fringe <laughs> vests, you know, like all that all that stuff. Uh, so this is, but this is all I knew. Um, I, I happened to be a, a fast runner when I was a little child. I could run like the wind. And of course, to my parents, this is because they would say, that's the Indian in you, you know, right? It made total sense at the time. So of course, I went and got my DNA tested and guess what? Zero. Zero. No, <laughs> Zero. There no is moccasins no, required. None. None. Like I am straight out of the middle of England and that's it. There is no Native American in me at all. Um, so, you know, there, there's that, that component of it is fun, I think, for a lot of people to find out where did you actually come from? How much of the family lore is reality? How much is not? Um, 
And then, you know, you can find long lost relatives and things like that. So, no, I get that it's fun. I just, it spooks me out. But uh, I, I, I don't I blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah, I don't blame you. And, and it's something I, I contend with a lot because whenever there's news about something happening with DNA, either, you know, some data is released or some new study comes out or something, basically all of the security professionals, particularly the folks who are involved with social engineering and that sort of stuff, they all come out and they shout from the rooftops, you're crazy if you're getting your DNA tested. This is a security nightmare. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And I try to insert myself and I say, I understand where you're coming from and I respect your opinion. And for you and for many people, that's probably the right choice. But please remember, there is a small subset of us for whom the value proposition is very different. And just keep that in mind and respect that we're making that decision and it is an informed decision and we're weighing the risks. And for us, it's worth it. Yeah. I get it. I hadn't thought about it, but I, I completely get it. Now, yeah. uh, along the path of sort of being creeped out by technology, <laughs> um, yes. I find it very spooky. And it seems to be happening with more frequency, Dave, where my iPhone develops new capabilities without anybody talking to me. So mm. the first one that happened a while ago now is I get in the car and it pops up and it says, 12 minutes to the gym and the traffic, no, no traffic problem or whatever. It looks good. Right. Right. I'm like, yes. What? What? How did you know I was going to the gym? Correct. And then <laughs> just now today, this right. is a new feature just happened right fucking now, right as we were getting on my phone pops up and there's a, a, a notice on it that says, uh, turn on, do not disturb um, for your uh, zoom call with, Dave, I'm like, oh, what? Oh, that's interesting. I haven't that's, seen that. Now it's cool. Well, this is kind of spooky, isn't it? It is spooky, but isn't this twenty years ago? Isn't this what we were all hoping for? That these digital assistants would be doing things automatically for us behind our backs, and so we wouldn't have to worry about. I mean, that's a that's a nice reminder to be reminded to turn off to to set your phone to do not disturb. Well, and I thought. Is this, is this, what, is it just a new feature that it does this or is it some ML business that it knows that when I get on these Zooms, I turn my phone on, do not disturb. And so the phone learned that. What is that? What's the cause and effect? Yeah. Which came first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I do see, and I share your notion that it is both cool and a little bit creepy. Some every now and then it crosses the line where I'm like, uh, "How did you?" Because now I have to figure out how did it figure it out. You know, well, yeah, how, and you have uh, the mental uh, capability to do that. I know <laughs> that I have no clue. I, I'm not. I don't even came from space. I don't know. Uh, yeah. William Shatner invented it. I yeah. have no idea. <laughs> they're, they're just following you around. Apple has assigned someone to follow you around. You know, these phones aren't <laughs> cheap, so they can afford to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, whoever thought they were going to get to a thousand bucks, and now there aren't there ones now that are twelve hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. They cracked. Mm-hmm. They went right through the thousand dollar barrier, didn't they? Just went. Whoop. They did. Um, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I I think for it's my primary computing device. I spend hours a day interacting with my phone, and 
it's like that thing you've seen uh, go around where they'll they'll print out the uh, the front page of an old Radio Shack circular, you know, and like every single device on the front of that circular is now contained within your iPhone. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. a CB radio and a tape recorder and a, you know and a book and it's all it these slices things and, and it dices and yeah and all of those all of those things are within uh, the iPhone. I think um, uh, the tech writer, uh, Andy Anotko, who I'm a big fan of, um, he wrote years ago that uh, the iPhone is kind of like a tricorder in that, you know, in, in Star Trek, a tricorder was capable of doing whatever that week's script needed the tricorder to do. And more and more, we're finding that's the way our smartphones function. You're like, I need, to, I need to track my exercise. Oh, yeah, well, there's an app for that, you know. I need to know how long it's going to take me to get from point A to point B. Yep, it can do that. I need to track my blood pressure. Yep, yep, yep. What do you need? Somebody's thought of it and built some way to keep track. I got of it. one for you. Uh, yes, I have a dear friend who's a retired fire chief, hmm. and in his years of service, he had two in particular, but um, several, but two two bad ones, explosions, and so he has a real uh, meaningful hearing impairment. Oh, and um, it makes uh, dinner in a restaurant challenging mm-hmm. because of the way sound moves around and, you know, one ear is better than the other and where people are sitting and noise and all this stuff. Right. right. So um, now um, the, the new iPhones, he can put the phone in the middle of the table and with yeah. the wireless earbuds, he listens to the conversation through the iPhone in the middle of the table and there's yeah. special software that yep. knows how to get rid of a lot of the uh, background noise and, 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 and focuses in on the speaker and, and so forth and so on. Anyway, long story longer, right. the iPhone is now, it does, it's not a replacement necessarily for a hearing aid, but it's, it's, it's another tool to right. make life meaningfully different for uh, somebody in his situation. And, yeah. and when Steve Jobs got up in two, 2000 and was it nine? Uh, I think it was 2000. Was, was it nine or six? Uh, I yeah, I think you're six. right. It was six or yeah, seven. Was anyway, six. Yep. whenever that was, did we sit there yeah. and go, yes, the hearing impaired are going to love this thing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so there you go. What, what's the value of that to him? What's that functionality worth to him? You calculate uh, that into the thousand dollar price of, yeah, the thousand dollar price. Is that worth 10 bucks for per dinner for him? What do hearing aids cost? They ain't, they ain't cheap. No, they weigh <laughs> so, cheap. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Uh, you know, I just was surprised how fast it blew through the thousand bucks, but in terms of what we have in our pocket, um, mm-hmm. it's an absolute stunner. It is. It, it, it boggles my mind. You know, having come up uh, through the 8-bit computer days and um, I just, I, I sometimes I look at this magical device and I just think about even just things like the display on it is so high resolution and so bright and so fast. And, you know, when I was imagining on my old TRS-80 that had a resolution of 256 by 192 and you know, it was either black and white. I, I just, in my wildest dreams, I, I was not capable of imagining a device with these capabilities. And it makes me wonder, what are our kids in for? What, what are the capabilities that they're going to enjoy that we're not capable of imagining now? I think it's exciting. 
Yeah, I think we're going to get to see a lot of them. I mean, shit's moving fast. I hope so. I hope so. And hopefully some of that stuff will help us stay around a little longer if we want I mean, to. <laughs> how far away are we from being able to uh, 3D print our own iPhone in the house? Yeah, you know, I thought of that recently. Um, I had uh, the handle on my dishwasher broke. And so I had to go buy a new handle on my dishwasher. It was like 50 bucks for this piece of plastic. You know, it took a week to get to me. And, you know, all right, fine. But I thought about there's these um, uh, like 3D printing bureaus that are that they're starting now. Wouldn't it have been great if I could just go right. over there, right? Have them 3D print me one. And I, I put, and I guess my point is, I think that's a direction that we're heading. Rather than stocking those kinds of parts in a warehouse where someone has to store them, just make them on demand. And yeah, we'll have that for you tomorrow. We'll print it overnight and uh, come pick it up or we'll yeah. drop it off. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that's pretty exciting. That day, that day I, I, think, I think we get to see that day. I think you're right. Yeah. So what are the sort of coolest technologies and use cases that you've heard about lately that you're getting fired up about? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I think some of the, some of the fast developments in things, things that exceed the speed at which I thought they would develop is very interesting. Things like, like deep fakes right? Where um, if you think back to a movie like Titanic, which was one of the first films where they used digital doubles for the actors, where they had, like, they would have stunt people running straight at the camera. And so you could see their faces and it was the stunt person's body, but they replaced the stunt person's face with the actor's face. And that was one of the first big movies where they were able to do that. I'm sure there were examples before that, but that's, that's a, you know, and that was what, 20 years ago or so that Titanic happened and that was really expensive and it took a lot of time and very skilled artists to be able to do that and to still do it at a cinematic level still requires tremendous amounts of software, uh, hardware and, and skilled artists. But I don't know if you saw somebody did a deep fake version of uh, the shot of Princess Leia at the end of uh, Rogue One. Um, and there's a case to be made that the deep fake version was more realistic and more convincing than the one that the, the fine people wow. at ILM did. Wow. And the folks at ILM ain't no slouches, you know, like yeah. they're, you know, <laughs> they're among suck, the best right? of the best. <laughs> no, they don't. And, and I'm, believe me, I, I am not saying this to, to degrade anything they do. I think they're amazing, the work that they do. My point is that basically this sort of off the shelf software that anybody can download and work with is getting to the point where this stuff's really easy to do. And so what that makes me wonder about is for folks like me and you, where there are massive libraries publicly available of our voices saying all sorts of things that can be loaded into a system like this, how far away are we from someone being able to feed a script into a computer? And not only will it sound like my voice, because we're already there where you can get the sound and the kind of the 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 timbre and the that sort of thing, but it'll have my cadence. It'll have 
my quirks. It'll have my stammers. It'll have, it'll figure out the things, the, the little, the ticks that I have when I talk. And I think, I think that's coming. And so what does that mean? What does that mean for us as a society in terms of what you can and cannot trust as being real or reliable? How do you, how do you certify the news uh, if you can't necessarily believe everything you see or hear? That's interesting. It, it, talk about augmenting reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you but, think you know, of what, the... Sorry, go ahead. Well, what does it mean for entertainment, right? What does it mean for going to the movies? What does it mean for things like like porn? You know, I mean, all these this technology, all these advances are going to sprinkle among all these sorts of things and so i guess you can you can put anybody on anybody's head on anybody's body right yeah well and and from the deep fakes point of view i mean that's the the vast majority of it is that's what it's being used for is putting other people's faces on faces of people who are doing porn women who are doing porn that's the vast majority of the people i've interviewed Why is it all the innovation comes out of the porn industry it it uh because it's a place where there's a lot of money and people are willing to spend money on it but you're absolutely right vhs machines right i mean that's what led the way the big huge swaths of the internet the the push to have video online what led the way look I, yeah. this is this, how how far back I go, but in the old days with Flash, yeah, right? Macromedia Flash, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it was porn. <laughs> I remember, I remember, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so how are we going to react? How are we going to adjust? How are we going to evolve as uh, as societies around the world to all this stuff? What does it mean? And um, I think we're in. For you know, what some does it mean when you can have a deep fake of a of a president declaring war on a country? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Shit's gonna get weird. It is. Now, what do you think of um, what do you think of the cyber truck? Oh, the Elon Musk's thing. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think I don't know. Somebody took a DeLorean and. Uh, a friend of mine uh, said it looked a lot like a Pontiac Aztec. If you okay, remember yes, yes. It definitely sort of got whacked with an ugly stick, I think. But I wonder if that's the point. I don't think it's going to look like that when it ships. Um, one of my initial thoughts was, yeah, this thing is ugly, but have you looked at a lot of the pickup trucks lately? They've sort of become, in my mind, the pickup trucks have become kind of like swollen caricatures of themselves they're they're all bulky and and um and the rippling and uh just gigantic so um if if musk was looking to make a splash and make something that that's going to grab attention this is going to do that um i think checking here as you're talking david says and just the dimensions so it's 20 231.7 inches long okay and 79.8 inches wide and 75 inches tall with seating for six. And then it oh, says, this is an article on CNET. And then it says, <clears throat> let's compare that to the Ford F-150, one of these ah. mega monsters that you were just talking about. Right. So the Ford F-150 is 209 to 250 long. So this thing is 
in, in the same range, 231 inches long. So same length. Was in the I think the standard is you gotta be able to put a, a four by eight sheet of plywood in the back. That's the Oh, is that sort what of the is? minimal? I think that's the minimum viable product for a full size pickup truck. Is you've got to be able to put a four by sheet, four by eight sheet of plywood in the back. Yeah, anything smaller than that, and you're not in the ball game in I terms see. of a. That's my understanding. I'm not a full size pickup so truck kind of guy. According but, to this, it's essentially saying that it uh, it goes through the rest of the dimensions. I can give them to you if you care. But it says that puts it pretty much in the same company as every other pickup out there, okay. size wise. Right. So. From a technology point of view, the thing about electric cars is they have torque, and torque is why people torque, yeah yeah and that's why people buy diesels in their trucks. Oh man, a diesel engine! I don't I'm not, I don't know why diesel isn't more popular than because um, from a driving perspective, man, they're great. I've never owned one, but uh, I guess it's the it's the combination of the rattle 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 and the. They're, well, the rattle—they don't rattle, 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 rattle much anymore. But they have a lot of torque in the, you know, in the low end of the band, right? So, yeah, yep. um, they they go, yeah, yeah. But this thing looks so bizarre, doesn't it? I, I wonder it if does. it's it's gonna. Um, you got to give him. He uh, a buddy of mine tweeted me and said, "How's this for different?" <laughs> it is that, and it's so. It's if they're looking for attention, they got attention. So we'll see what it actually ends up looking like. When it comes time to ship the thing, um, did you put place it, an order yet? No, no. I uh, my I I don't have a garage, so uh, I it's sort of electric cars are out of my zone right now because I don't have a really practical way to charge one. Yeah, if oh. if I, I would consider it, you know, I like a Model Three would be I would be intrigued by one, and I, I would be I live close enough to where I work that I. You know, it's all in that zone where I could consider it. It, it might be practical, but I just don't have a, a good way to charge one. So I'm just not saying I'm taking a lot of time. I've written it around them. 125 grand. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a lot of that's a lot of sheets of four by eight plywood, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be uh, uh, one very serious handy gal or guy, handy man or handy woe man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Might be cool branding for your company if you're a handy professional. Yeah, could be. Could be. I, I think it's a great application for electric vehicles. Like, you know, they're all that torque. I mean, you're going to be able to haul stuff. So we'll see. I guess a part of it is does, does uh, Tesla know how to build a durable enough vehicle that'll hold up to the kind of stuff we think about Ford and Chevy, they have such a legacy of building these things. They know where stuff breaks. And it, it, is that the kind of knowledge that Tesla can buy by, you know, poaching folks away from companies like Ford and Chevy? Maybe, I don't know. So we'll see, well, but it's interesting. According to, according to CNET, the, uh, here's the, here it is. You, you can buy it right now. Hmm. Or you can put it in an order. You put it. Well, yeah. You can give them money. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know when you get it though. When, yeah. When's it supposed to yeah. come out? Do you know? I don't know. But that's not. Uh, that's not one of. Uh, it's not something that Tesla's particularly good at. Is they, hitting deadlines. They mostly so. miss their ship dates, don't they? <laughs> I think they've missed every one of them. I. I don't know that they've hit a single one of them. Not. Not in a meaningful way. I. I don't know. I'm sure the folks who are uh, big fans of Tesla will let us know where we are wrong. But I think it's fair to say that. They slip their deadlines pretty regularly. 
And apparently there's a, uh, did you hear this part? There's an ATV that can fit in the back of this thing and charge in the, in the bed. Oh, so you can find, you can, you can bring another ATV with you and charge it while you're driving around in your cyber truck. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that, maybe maybe not, maybe now you need to get, (laughs) I look forward to seeing them on the street. <laughs> I look forward to that. They are fun. Yes. If you ever, I don't know if you've ever driven in a Tesla, but boy, yeah, when yeah. they when they put the uh, pedal down, those things move. <laughs> they sure charge, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can see the appeal for sure. Now, um, what else that's sort of forward leaning that's uh, tickling your brain right now? Um, hmm. What else is tickling my brain that's forward leaning? That's a good question. Well, let me ask um, you this. What, what do you think about, um, I've been hearing rumors that the Apple glasses are coming next year. Is that, is that happening? Yeah. Well, so actually that's, that's where I was, I was going to go. My, my oldest son just got an Oculus. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, the, and uh, have you played with one of those? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my the first early time. versions. I haven't played with it in quite some time. So I had played with the the Google glasses thing, you know, with a little cardboard box that you kind of slide your phone into and strap to your head and you can see things in 3D. I'd played with that. The Oculus was a whole nother yeah. level. It was <laughs> immersive and convincing. And uh, he had some kind of Star Wars game that I was playing on there where you're on the bridge of this ship. And I, my jaw just hit the floor of how... Like my brain just went, yeah, okay, good. We're here. Yeah. No problem. I'm in. There was no, <laughs> there was no uncanny valley. There was no uh, feeling like this wasn't quite there. There was no like lag when I moved, ahead, moved my head around. No. All right, here we are. Let's go. I'm, I'm in. Uh, I did have a little bit of motion sickness when I took it off. I noticed it. So it made me, it's disorienting. It was a little disconcerting. Yeah. It was a little disorienting, but um I think that's really interesting. And so in terms of Apple glasses, if Apple can pull off what uh, Google tried to do with Google Glass in a meaningful way, I think that's interesting. This article on Hyperbeast says, Apple will replace the iPhone with smart glasses in roughly a decade as reported by the information. According to sources at Apple, executives discussed the the release timelines of various VR and AR headsets in an internal presentation to employees at the company's Cupertino camp- campus. Yeah, this October. Yeah, so I've seen I've seen those articles. Yeah. Um, what I suspect we're in for is kind of like what we have with AirPods and the Apple Watch. Yeah, which is that your Imagine. iPhone is still the core processing unit for everything. That's the that's the where the power is. And so the, re- the other things are accessories. And by having that power in your pocket, that means you don't have to bulk up the glasses. You don't have to bulk up the watch. You don't have to bulk yeah. up the AirPods with all that processing power because that's fine being in your pocket. You know, no, no problem there. Uh, and maybe they'll get smaller and lighter and battery technology will get better and, and so on. But, but I could see there being value in that sort of kind of real-time, all-the-time combination of audio and video heads-up display, getting audio cues for things, um, a video overlay of things like walking directions or text messages or 
I, I think there's value there. I, I think it's probably going to be see a world where, uh, where we're all wearing these things. I suspect something like that will be more like Apple watch, which I just got my first Apple watch uh, a couple weeks ago and I like it a lot, but it hasn't changed my life that much. It hasn't rocked my world. Actually, Brian and I were talking about this on grumpy old geeks. It hasn't rocked my world the way that, um, a, the iPhone did. It's not, transformative the way that having the internet in your pocket having gps and music and video and all that stuff but am i glad i have it yeah does, does there value in it absolutely and i suspect that the glasses will be like that it'll be a premium item that is a nice addition to your life but like if i left the house without my apple watch i'd be fine if i left the house without my iphone i'd turn around and go back home because I feel naked without it. And I think, yeah. you know, many of us feel that way. So that's I, I think I that's an interesting in insight. And I, I, my sense is you're probably right. And, and let me maybe bounce this off you. And my sense is the value uh, and use cases for them expands over time. And, and it may get to a place where you feel that way about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And uh, again, I, I think, there are things that they're going to be capable of doing that I'm not capable of imagining right, right now, because I'm looking at it all through the lens of what exists through the iPhone and the, the watch and the AirPods. But what happens yeah. when I have this additional set of sensors and, um, well, and you know, I think it's not only sitting on my head, but it's measuring things about what direction I'm facing and I don't know, you know, my pulse, my, who knows, it, it could, it could have some kind of wacky brainwave sensor on it that we can't even imagine so far, but that will have all sorts of implications for being able to keep track of our health and our wellness and who knows, who knows, but, uh, you know, it's interesting I because interesting. like I think about it in the context of what we know, know today as AR, you know, augmented reality. And I think for a long time up until in fairly recently, augmented reality was a little bit of a technology looking for a problem. And there mm -hmm. were use cases that seemed to make some sense. You could see some medical use cases in the field and things along these lines and people right. talked about them, but, but it really wasn't, it was a cool thing, but you didn't see it taking off. And, yeah. Nothing really uh, stuck. And I was recently at Splunk's, annual user conference in Vegas uh -huh. and they added augmented reality uh, capabilities Splunk a little while ago. And they, they had a team of uh, folks from Porsche there and they were demoing Porsches coming out with their new uh, electric car. And, and so they're building a charging station network all over the place. Right. And right. So they showed a use case of having this charging station a Splunk, that is all, all the key data elements were there. And then wanting to bring it onto the network, experiencing a, a field tech, tech in the field, having a problem, and then using his iPhone super over and having AR over top of it. So a manual pops up and then a, a YouTube video pops up and so forth and so on. And, you, and so you see that it's real time AR use case of a technician solving a field service problem in the field for yeah. installing this thing on the Porsche network. And so you start to see that now and you're like, okay, we're now starting to see use cases that are very powerful for this stuff. And, and when you see something like that, and then you take it to the, to the Apple 
um, possibility here and this is sort of the art of the possible of, to your point, what are the things that you might see projected out in front of you, directions and, and text messages. And, you know, you can imagine having the internet sort of, out in front of you all the time. <laughs> I'll give you a, a silly little example. Um, about a year ago, I got a new car and my old car I'd had for a long time. So it was an older car. It was like a 10-year-old car. Got a new car. And one of the things my new car has that my old car did not have is a backup camera. And it has a backup camera that has this overlay grid that lines up the parking space when you're backing into the space. And this is something that I never again want to live without because it's, it's great. It's simple. Nothing that complicated about it. It's just overlaying a grid on my backup camera. But boy, have I gotten good at backing into parking spaces now. And so. And that's augmented reality, essentially. It, it, it's, it's the most basic level of augmented reality. But now I, I park using a video camera and an overlay rather than turning around and looking for myself. So I trust that technology because it has not let me down and I'm better at parking than I used to be because of this rudimentary, totally basic little bit of augmented reality. And I will tell you, I will never buy another car that doesn't have it because... Well, and to go back great. to your, your beloved security conversations. And, yeah. Uh, what level of security now is that, right? I mean, you just think about the all of our cars, the new cars have this shit. Well, you're not going to yeah. run someone over, right? Right. Or you're less right. likely to, right? Oh, and now if with I, sensors, yeah. the sensors are going to go off, right? If I start to drift out of my lane, the car automatically nudges itself back towards the center of the lane. It can see the lines on the road. It can read the road signs, you know, and this is not, this is not a, this is not a, a high end car. You know, this is a, so this stuff is trickling down to the masses where uh, these, these little bits of technology that can help us do the things we do every day and keep us a little bit safer. They add up. And they make our lives a little bit better. And we come to depend on them and enjoy them. They give us some pleasure. And uh, I think that's pretty exciting stuff. I like it a lot. Yeah, I like that stuff a lot too. All right, Dave. Well, I could clearly talk to you for 12 hours about all this shit. <laughs> we'll have to do it again sometime. <laughs> Any, anything else before we wrap? No, I just uh, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a real pleasure. Um, I, it's been a real uh, a real joy to get to, to chat with you here. Uh, so uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I, I really appreciate the invitation. Well, thanks, Dave. I'm a huge fan of yours, as you well know. And uh, uh, I particularly enjoy you on Grumpy Old Geeks. Um, the three of you have great chemistry and as you well know it's a, uh, one of my top five podcasts so <laughs> it's great to hang out with you and i feel like i know it that's the thing about podcasts right when you yeah. you feel like you know the person way better than you actually do just because you're, you're right in my ear so often yeah i understand i totally get it <laughs> all right dave all right. stay legendary my friend thank you there he is the legendary dave bittner um, now, if you love this episode, you will probably love episode number 100 of Follow Your Different with Grumpy Old Geeks co-host Brian Schulmeister. Check him out, episode 100 of uh, Follow Your Different. And while you're at it, why not just check out Grumpy Old Geeks and hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you're in the tech business, uh, you're going to love it. 
Um, and if you want to send us email, you can do that blackhole at lockhead.com. We'll do our best to get uh, caught up with you. It's uh, It's been tough lately, but we're trying to keep track. And um, that's it. All right. We would like to thank the legendary Dave Bittner. You can check him out on the Cyberwire podcast, on the Hacking Humans podcast, and of course, on Grumpy Old Geeks. Also, do you think your company is, uh, uh, do you think your people think your company's awesome? That's where my friends Socrates.ai come in. They are the leading digital conversation hub, and Socrates wants to help you make your company employee awesome. Imagine the ability to type or talk into your phone and ask any question about any HR-related topic and instantly get an answer back. That's what Socrates does, and that's employee awesome. Check out Socrates.ai today. And if you want to scale yourself, why not look into the power of a virtual assistant with my friends at bottleneck.online. That's bottleneck.online to get the power of a virtual assistant. And if you're in the B2B space in Silicon Valley, my friends at Atranet have been building B2B websites for leading tech companies in Silicon Valley for almost 25 years. Check out atre.net today. And a nonprofit I love, Donors Choose. These folks help you contribute directly to teachers and students around the country that need your help. Check out donorschoose.org today. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And I want you to know we deeply, deeply appreciate you sharing this podcast of late. Both Follow Your Different and Lockhead on Marketing are again charting in the Apple Top 200. I don't know how you do that. Um, there's 750,000 podcasts. I, it blows my mind. It blows all of our minds. Thank you so much. And hey, while you're at it, why not check out Lockhead on Marketing? It's uh, Apparently, it's a hot new marketing podcast. <laughs> all right. I also need to remind you that this podcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. We are produced by the legendary Jamie J and Sarah Knox, edited by Mike D, and show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember to teach peace. Be nice to your sister. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to Leonard Cohen. Thank you so much, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Richard Smith, former CEO of Equifax. Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. Follow your different.